0: You're listening to the Voice of Dog. This is Rob McQuill, your fellow traveler, and today's story is Screw the Looking Glass by Zach Loop. This story is an introduction to the ongoing Psychopomp comic series by Zach Loop, which you can read on both Webtoons and Fur Affinity. If you enjoyed Zach's writing, he's currently working on a full-length novel called Friendly Fire, which you can read on his Patreon. Please enjoy Screw the Looking Glass by Zach Loop and... Edited by Carmen Loop It was 8 a.m. A moral-coated mutt named Ray Gracie lay tangled in his bedsheets, still dressed in his clothes from the night before. A record spun on his turntable silently, the needle having reached the end hours before. If he had his druthers, it would be at least another four hours before he woke up. He would not have his druthers. Not today, Bohemian Rhapsody fandangoed into his consciousness. He pushed aside a few empty craft beer bottles which clattered to the floor as he fumbled for his phone. He remembered thinking that making his favorite song his ringtone was a great idea. He knew better now. The caller ID read Mom. She was usually good about not calling him this early. It must have been important. Hello? He asked groggily. I'm sorry, sweetheart, did I wake you? His mom asked in her charming drawl. No, he lied, she knew. What's up? I'm sorry to bother you, she said, but your father's out of town and I just had a man drop off a bunch of stuff for the auction. I'd wait for Greg to come in to work at 10, but it looks like it's going to rain and I don't want to leave everything outside. Ray groaned and hoped his mom hadn't heard. He was definitely hungover, possibly still a little drunk. Only masochists and social media influencers were up this early. But he loved his mom, and damn it, he wasn't going to leave her to haul all that stuff inside alone. I'll be there in 15 minutes, he grunted. Oh, thank you, sweetheart, she said. I love you. I love you too, Mom, he said. He rolled out of bed with a huff, stretched, and shook himself out. His tail was stiff from sleeping on it. He wagged it for a moment as if doing that would help work out the kink in his back. It did not. He looked at himself apologetically in the cracked mirror above his dresser, combing his head for back with his claws into a loose, rust-colored quiff. He straightened out the lapels of his leather jacket. At least he was already dressed. He grabbed his keys off the table and headed out to his car, a beat-up black station wagon over a decade his senior, he sat back in the well-worn seat. Cobwebs of sleep threatened to overtake him. Some people had a morning coffee to wake up. Ray had a morning cigarette. Took a deep pull. His toes curling as the nicotine helped take the edge off his misery. He started the car, or at least he tried to. The station wagon groaned in protest, refusing to turn over. Ah, oh, no, buddy. Ray sighed, patting the dashboard. It's too early. I don't want to be awake either. Ray turned the key again, and the car sputtered to life, as if it were groaning, Okay, I'm awake. The sun was entirely too bright for Ray's liking, but the dark clouds in the distance looked like they'd fixed that soon enough. Ray was looking forward to getting this over with so he could go home and let the rain lull him back to sleep. He pulled into the auction house's dirt driveway and saw his mom was waiting for him outside, the graying husky butt paced, eyeing the darkening sky to the east. Thank goodness you're here his mom said as he stepped out of the car. Come on, help me get this stuff inside, and then we can catch up over tea. I'd like that, Mom, he said. In fact, he would have liked to get home as soon as possible, but he'd rather stay awake for 79 hours straight, lost in a 24-hour Walmart than risk hurting her feelings. The next few minutes were a blur of heavy lifting and fighting back waves of nausea. It wasn't until Ray reached the last item, an old fainting couch, that he realized he was about to enter the 24-hour Walmart of the soul. There was a woman on the couch, a fluffy white cat in a long velvet dress with elegant pearls around her neck. She looked as if someone had opened a can of tuna and refused to share. Her distress wasn't unwarranted. After all, she was dead. Ray sat down on the couch beside the ghostly woman. Young man, where am I? She asked. I lay down to take my second midday nap, and then. then I woke up here. You're at Grayson's son's auction house, Ray said. Yes, I've heard of it, the lady said. But what am I doing here? Ray smiled sadly. He hated this part. You, uh. you didn't wake up from that nap, he said. I'm sorry, ma'am. Oh the woman said, studying the ground. Oh, what happens now? Well, I don't really know, Ray admitted. From what I gather, you can choose a place to haunt, if that's what you'd like, or you can move on. Move on? The woman asked in a tiny voice. Yes, into the light or the great beyond, or whatever you want to call it, Ray said. Oh, my, the woman said. What happens then? I've never been, Ray said. I've never known anyone who came back. Well, that's mighty inconvenient, the woman said. I'm sorry, ma'am, Ray said. Stop calling me ma'am, the woman said. My name's Doris. All right, Doris, Ray said. Is there anything I can do for you? Most people can't see ghosts. Well, if I'm here, I suppose it means my good-for-nothing son, William, is selling all my stuff, Doris said, her white fur bristling. So there is one thing you can do for me. Take these, she said, clasping at the pearls on her neck, except, as she did, they melted away into nothingness. Oh, no, she gasped. Your pearls aren't really here, Ray said. This forms just a memory of yourself in life. Let's see, Dora said, well, "If that's the case, why am I still such an old biddy?" May as well fix that. Her form shifted gently before Ray's eyes; she seemed to become fuzzy, like an image playing through a staticky television, before settling on a version of herself that looked to be about twenty years old, wearing a cocktail dress and a bow in her curled head fur. That's better," she said. I do believe I could get used to this being dead nonsense. Anyways, young man, my name is Ray, he said. Ray, she said, find my pearls. They have to be with the things William brought you. I don't care about anything else, but don't let him sell those. They're a family heirloom. They belong to my grandmother. I want you to find them and give them to my daughter, Emily. She lives at 5212 Myrtle Street, the Yellow House." I'll do my best, Doris, he said. But for now you may want to pick a different place to haunt. It's about to rain. I'm going to see Emily then, Doris said. I'll be waiting. I won't rest until I know she has my pearls. With that she disappeared. The sky politely waited for Ray to drag the couch inside, before turning the driveway into a splattering mud pit. Just in time, Ray's mom said. Shall I get the kettle going? Yeah, I'll be over in a minute, Ray said. I saw something cool in one of the boxes. I want to check it out. Okay, sweetheart, his mom said as she went back into the office. You'd like a chai, right? Yes, please, Ray said. He began digging through the boxes. As he did, something niggled him, prickling his neck fur. His parents must have gotten in another haunted object. You'd have to look for that once he found the damn pearls. His fingers brushed over a velvet jewelry box. Jackpot. Pearls sat poised inside, ready for their debut at an auction they'd never see. He slipped the box into the pocket of his black leather jacket, then followed his growing sense of unease deeper into the auction house. Ray was no stranger to dealing with spirits. He'd been able to see them his whole life. The only thing that had changed as he'd grown up was that he'd learned not to mention it to folks any more lest they think he was crazy. It was hard to avoid, sometimes, since he lived in an old city, lousy with ghosts, filled with bullet holes or covered in nasty boils as a result of wars or pestilences. The boils were the worst. He'd quickly gotten in the habit of checking an area for sickly ghosts before eating. The auction house frequently came into possession of items with unwitting guests attached to them, and Ray had made it his silent duty to help them out when he could. Ray wandered back into the storage room, where less desirable items waited to be priced. It was dark as hell back there, since there were no windows, and the rain roared against the tin roof so loud it would have put Reverend Johnson, the old lion at the pulpit of Harcourt Baptist Church, to shame. The energy was oppressive. It was spooky, even to him, and he was pretty jaded with spooky. Ray was fine with dealing with ghosts, but he had the sneaking suspicion that whatever was back here wasn't your typical disgruntled granny. It was almost, Ray hated to think it, demonic. Demonic. He had encountered evil spirits before. Things that had never been alive were able to arrange themselves into horrid, shambling shapes that mimicked life about as well as a mockingbird mimicked a car alarm. When he was a kid, he tried to pretend he didn't see them. Spirits are like mall kiosk employees in that they know when you're looking at them and they refuse to leave you alone if you do. But he'd seen 25 years worth of this shit and didn't want whatever the hell this was anywhere near his mother. He'd become a ghost hunter of sorts. It wasn't a job that paid, but it was rewarding work. Between shifts at the local record shop, he found himself drawn around the town wherever there was spiritual trouble. Most of the time, he just helped spirits move on. Occasionally, he'd find a cursed object and have to cleanse and bury it where no one would ever find it. Downtown, he'd been panhandled by more spectral hobos than living ones. He found what he was looking for. A mirror. Of course, it was a fucking mirror. The old mirror stood like a sentinel in the back of the room. Its wooden frame was black, as if the wood had been burnt. It was reflecting what little light was available from the main portion of the warehouse, only it wasn't reflecting the room. Beyond the dirty glass was a desaturated view of a forest pathway, moss swinging in the breeze Ray couldn't feel. Nope, Ray thought, looking for something heavy to smash it with. He grabbed an antique brass fire iron and stalked the mirror. His hackles raised as he neared it, the cold wind from behind the glass spilling out to ruffle his fur. He lifted the iron, preparing to strike. A black blur bolted through the trees and launched at him, claws digging into his arm and forcing him to drop the iron, which clattered on the concrete floor. The hand knew what it wanted. It slipped into his coat pocket, snatched the velvet box, and retreated back into the forest in the mirror. It was gone. And so, Ray realized, were the pearls. Ray swore. He took a deep breath, trying to figure out how exactly he was supposed to climb inside of a mirror. Ray, baby, his mother called. Tea's ready. It would have to wait. He hurried over to the office, still conspicuously bristled. Are you okay, dear? His mom asked. I'm fine, he insisted, sitting down in the chair opposite hers. Just tired. I'm sorry I woke you up. She said with a wink as she slid his mug across the desk toward him. I know you're busy these days. It's all right, right, ma'am," he said, a bit embarrassed to know she'd seen through his little white lie. Really, but hey, can I ask you a favor in return for the help? Of course, she said. What do you need, dear? Can I have that old mirror in the back room? He asked. I uh, need a new one from my room. Mine's busted. That old thing, she laughed. I thought you might like it. You've always liked creepy things. Take it. I can't sell it for half a penny. Thanks, Mom, he smiled. An hour later, Ray was stuffing the horrible knot mirror into the trunk of his car. The driveway was more of a shallow bog now, but the rain had quieted to a tepid drizzle. If he hadn't already promised Doris he'd bring her daughter the pearls, he'd have already dropped the damn thing and been done with it. He may have been many things, but he wasn't a liar. An eeriness befitting his predicament darkened his trip home, a harsh contrast to the blinding brightness that morning. Once he got home, he hefted the mirror from his trunk and hesitantly brought it inside. He hated the idea of playing host to an evil mirror, but he couldn't risk leaving it outside. If some inconsiderate pup knocked it over or stole it, he'd never get those pearls back. He set it up in his kitchen, thinking perhaps the eeriness of it might at least scare away the family of cockroaches that lived behind his cupboards. He stared curiously into the mirror again. The moonlit leaves beyond the glass shimmered smugly. Were they mocking him? They were, the trees were mocking him. Ha ha. Ha ha, they silently laughed like a cackle of hyena cubs. You can't smash me, I've got something you need. He snarled in reply. Since he was already in the kitchen, he microwaved a frozen burrito for breakfast, which even at this hour was more like an extremely late dinner. Many sat down at his computer try to figure out what the hell to do. He scoured the internet to see if anyone in the history of ever had experienced something like this and lived to tell the tale, but if they had, they weren't sharing. Several hours, a pack of cigarettes, and half a case of beer later, he was nowhere closer to an answer. He'd have to wing it. He returned to the kitchen, armed with a few white chime candles and a plastic water bottle filled with holy water that he'd stolen from the cathedral down the street. He wondered briefly if stealing holy water negated the holiness. Probably. Better than nothing, though. First, he'd tried casually strolling right into the mirror, but all he'd gotten was a painful bump on the snout. Then, he doused it in holy water, which knitted him a damp mirror. He lit one of the cleansing white candles he bought from a local witchcraft shop. Zilch. The shadowy thing hadn't reappeared. The smug leaves seemed to be enjoying his unwitting attempts to get in. At some point, He flipped a switch from creeped out to pissed off. It was noon now, and he needed a nap. The mirror would still be there when he woke up, probably. He guzzled another beer, finishing off the pack, and let the steady pitter-patter of the rain lull him back to sleep. It was just starting to get dark, and still raining, when he woke up. He felt better. The word good even swam around his head for a moment. He felt good. A new idea came to him, and he smiled. That mirror's ass was his. The idea had come to him in his sleep as if the thing in the mirror had planted it there itself. Perhaps it had. Spirits could be sneaky bastards. A trade. Why not? He had plenty of old trinkets, little tokens of thanks from spirits he'd helped. He rifled through the junk drawer of his dresser and pulled out a silver pocket watch. That would do. Not that he had anything against the poor watch, but he had more watches than he could fetch a stick at. And this one was decidedly the plainest. Sorry, watch. He marched back into the kitchen with his offering. All right, I got something to trade for the pearls, he declared, brandishing the watch with a smugness that put the leaves to shame. A cold wind blew from the glass, like the breath of a fresh corpse. Taking that as a kind of disgusting welcome, he approached the glass. Nothing happened. He proffered the watch, and his hand phased right through the glass and into the chilly night beyond it. He retracted it quickly. It was getting darker inside the mirror world. If he was going in, he wasn't going in without a light. He grabbed a flashlight from the cabinet above his sink. He lit a cigarette and took a deep, slow drag, which he tried not to think about as his last. Then he clicked on the flashlight and stepped through the mirror. It felt almost like jumping into cold water, but he could still breathe on the other side. The woods surrounded him. Cicadas sang in the trees, screaming, despite the unseasonable cold. The scent of rotting oak made him crinkle his sensitive nose. Panic took him as he registered what he'd done. He looked behind him and saw his kitchen reflected back at him from a mirror that looked exactly like the one he'd gone through took another drag of his cigarette and anchored the real world, or his world at least. He began to walk. Hopefully the mirror would still be there when he needed to get the hell out of here. The leaves crunched beneath his paws as he followed the path of the trees. Giant oak trees created an archway around him that should have been beautiful, but words like beauty hadn't followed him into this world. Moss stripped down to the branches like flesh slipping from a rotting corpse. It grew steadily darker and darker as he walked, until his flashlight just barely illuminated the skeletal branches which reached for him. Finally, he came to a clearing. His flashlight illuminated what might have once been a beautiful mansion, but beauty, having ditched this world long ago, was now a burnt-out shell. The wood was charcoal black, just like the mirror. As he approached the old house, every fur on his body stood on end. He really, really. Really didn't want to go in there, but the thief hadn't made another appearance. The steps creaked under Paul, and he was passing the surprise that they didn't crumble beneath him. The porch seemed to sag beneath his weight as he approached the door, but it held. The door swung open as if beckoning him inside. Guess I will let myself in, Ray laughed nervously. He dropped the butt of his cigarette, nearly stomped out the smoldering cherry, then realized the damage had already been done. There was nothing left to burn here. The floor of the parlor was absolutely littered with dusty treasures, unmarred by flames. Clearly, the shadowy thing hadn't started collecting stuff until after the house had burned down. Now all he had to do was find the thief and make the trade. I brought something to trade, Ray said. Not in the mood for screwing around. He let the watch swing out on its chain. Give me the pearls. He felt the ground shift beneath him, and a moment later, the thing was before him. He'd seen a lot of shit, but he still wasn't really prepared for that. The inside of the house was dark. This thing was darker. Just a smooth expanse of void black skin shrink wrapped around a too skinny form. Its face was Almost canine, but its teeth were far too large and far too sharp. It didn't have any eyes, but Ray knew it could see. Massive horns spiraled out of its skull. It was twice his height, even hunched over as it was, and its cloven feet were bigger than Ray's head. The pearls draped over its claws like a fancy Christmas garland on the world's ugliest tree. Here, Ray said holding out the watch. Its enormous gnarled claw grasped the watch surprisingly gently. It gave a horrible screech, dropping the watch as its skin bubbled and steamed. The pearls dropped from its claws along with some of what looked like oil, but was almost definitely flesh. Damn, thought Ray. Should have known this thing would be allergic to silver. In Ray's defense, most spirits loved silver. Evil spirits were a different kettle of fish chips altogether, He cursed. Sorry, man, I didn't realize. The beast gave him a seethingly malicious look. It definitely didn't have eyes, but that made the fact that it was looking at him so much worse. I'm just gonna take these, Ray said. He dove to the floor to grab the pearls. As he did, the flashlight slipped free of his grasp and clattered somewhere off to the side. It illuminated the room just enough for him to grasp the pearls, and then for him to roll out of the way just before one of the beast's massive hooves came down where his head had been a moment before. He scrambled back to his feet and ran out of the mansion. The charcoal steps gave way under him as he fled, sending him tumbling into the grass. He'd lost the pearls in the fall. He ignored the pain in the knee he landed on and clawed desperately at the ground, looking for the necklace. Behind him, the bee shrieked again. The wood groaned audibly beneath its weight as it climbed out onto the porch. There was a crack like thunder as the wood presumably gave out beneath it. Ray wasn't about to look back. Ray's fingers finally curled around the pearls, clambered to his feet, and booked it for the woods. Behind him, the thing let out what sounded like a frustrated yell. The sound of wood cracking like broken bones signaled its escape. The beast surely knew he would head back for the mirror, and since it had no eyes, it likely didn't mind the dark. Ray was at quite the disadvantage. Without his flashlight, Ray could hardly see. It was only marginally brighter outside the house, in that he could tell the dark blobs around him were trees. After running blindly for a few moments, He realized he'd been screaming nonstop for God knows how long. He decided quiet was more prudent, and instead swore quietly as he ran through the dark woods. Suddenly, his leg caught on an outstretched root, and he tumbled to the ground. The smug trees were having one last laugh at his expense. Pain radiated through his skull as his snout smashed into the dirt. He tasted blood in his throat as he slipped around to the dead leaves for a moment, struggling to gain enough traction to right himself. He felt the cold breath of the beast ruffling his neck fur. That was enough motivation for his legs to launch him upwards, gravity be damned. The thing's claws dragged against the back of his coat, missing his fur by atoms. He felt blood running down his lips from his nose, staining his favorite band shirt. More of it pooled in his throat. His lungs protested as he took breath after breath of cool, musty air, begging for a rest and a hit of nicotine instead. His legs betrayed him, and he began to slow down. He wasn't going to make it. Then Ray caught sight of the soft glint of light in the distance. It was the dingy yellow light of his disgusting, roach-infested kitchen. The sight of home motivated his legs enough to carry him forward, despite his overwhelming urge to throw up and then pass out in the weeds. He prayed to whatever God was listening, he learned by now there had to be more than one, that the mirror portal back home was still open. He leapt towards the mirror. Suddenly, he was skidding across stained laminate. He slammed hard into the tackily papered wall and sent a few boxes of cereal tumbling off the shelf. Thank you, he shouted to whoever had helped him. He'd have to burn some incense for them or something, God's like that, he'd heard. Not yet, though, first the mirror had to die. Ray kicked open his flimsy porch door. As he turned back toward the kitchen, he saw a clawed black hand reaching out of the glass. With the speed he was surprised his tired body could achieve, Ray grabbed the mirror by its frame and hurled it outside. The glass shattered on the concrete driveway. He heard the beastly shriek. The mirror's frame vibrated as its inhabitants struggled to escape the closing portal to its world. Ray snatched a perfectly good bottle of vodka from his kitchen, dumped the full bottle onto the charred wooden frame. He ran back inside again and grabbed the nearest piece of paper, which happened to be a crumpled flyer for his friend's band's latest show. He pulled out his lighter and lit up the flyer. Little tendrils of darkness began to creep up from around the frame, whipping around as if blindly grasping for him as he approached the mirror one last time. Fuck off, he said, dropping the flaming flyer onto the mirror. The fire spread quickly. The beast screeched so loudly that Ray was sure his neighbors would be calling the police to check on him. Then, slowly, the sound faded away into nothingness. Ray sat on the porch, smoking a well-earned cigarette, as he watched the frame burn down to ash. The next day, Ray went to Myrtle Street. Following a midnight talk with the cops about not starting illegal bonfires in his yard, a witching-hour trip to the churchyard to bury the broken glass left over from the mirror, an early morning chat with his landlord about the scorched grass, and a mid-morning shower to remove the ash, blood, and dirt from his fur. He was dressed in the suit he'd worn to prom ten years before. It was the nicest outfit he owned, and he liked to look good when he brought gifts from deceased loved ones. Ray realized with a tinge of guilt that he had forgotten Emily's address. Fortunately, there was only one yellow house on Myrtle Street, it looked like it had once been a very nice bungalow, but now it was sort of a shabby chic, with lots of hanging plants and quirky decor covering the home's obvious defects. He approached the front door and rapped the knocker against the wood three times. Just a second, a woman's voice called out. His fingers traced over the pearls in his coat pocket nervously. He'd gone through a lot of bullshit to get them. He really hoped they'd be appreciated. The door creaked open a moment later, and a middle-aged cat peeked out curiously. She was fluffy and white, almost the spitting image of her mother, aside from the brown points on her ears and nose. "'Yes?' she asked. She seemed prepared to slam the door on his snout any moment. "'Are you Emily?' he asked. "'Yes,' she said, opening the door slightly. "'Who are you?' "'I'm Ray Gracie of Gracie and Sons Auction House.' He said, your brother William recently brought us some of your mother's personal effects, but it came to my attention she wanted you to have these. He pulled the pearls out of his coat pocket and held them out to her. Oh, Emily gasped, her paws covering her mouth. Mother's pearls? Where? How? As she opened the door wider, Ray noticed Doris lingering behind her, literally glowing with happiness. Emily reached out and gently took the pearls into her paws holding them as if they were a holy artifact. She hugged them to her chest and began to cry. Tell her I love her very much, Doris said, and I'm proud of her. She loved you very much, Ray said. She wanted you to know that she's proud of you. Thank you, Emily said quietly. Thank you so much, Mr. Gracie. You're very welcome, Emily, Ray smiled. He'd gone through hell to get them, but Emily's delicate smile was worth it. Doris's ghostly form wrapped around her daughter in a hug, one that Emily couldn't feel but no doubt could sense. Then she was gone. As Ray headed back to his car, his phone began to ring. Hey, Mom, he said, picking up the phone. Hey, baby, I just wanted to see how the new mirror was working out. Oh, you'll never believe it, Ray laughed but I dropped it as I was bringing it in. Guess I'll have to stick with the old broken one. This was Screw the Looking Glass by Zach Loop, read for you by Rob McWolf, your fellow traveler. You can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog and find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.